You're listening to Reading Glasses, a show about book culture and literary life designed to help you read better. I'm author, filmmaker, and book devourer, Mallory O'Mara. And I'm Bria Grant, filmmaker and e-reader. This episode, we're talking about the author-reader relationship and interviewing authors and hosts of Deadline City podcast, Zoraida Cordova and Danielle Clayton. But first, what are you reading, Bria? I am reading, so in the mornings, I have been sitting downstairs with the pets with my pets, and um, I sit at the table, <laughs> and, the I, and I never, and I want to go and wake my fiance because I've been getting up early, and I just need a couple of something to read, like you know, first thing kind of in the morning to wake my brain up. And um, I've been keeping a comic book downstairs, which is really nice. And that is a big is this comic a book, giant comic book. So last year, my brother, I asked him, he was like, "What are you doing for Christmas?" And I was like, "I don't know, give me comic books that people are reading this year that people are talking about." So this was one of the ones he gave me last year for Christmas. I'm just now getting to it, which shows you how long it takes me to get to books. <laughs> it's called On a Sunbeam. By by Tilly Walden, and it is about, it's really great, it's sort of YA um, about a restoration crew who travels and, like, restores various things throughout space. Very Bria book. It is, and then it's also, um, it's like a double timeline, so it goes, so uh, it flashes back to one of the characters who was in boarding school, and she meets this other girl, and I, I think they're going to fall in love, but I haven't gotten that far yet. I, it's sensing some romance. A, this is a romance spoiler, energy. A spoiler alert as a guess. <laughs> <laughs> this is my spoiler guess. guess. Um, or maybe they just really like each other, but I'm pretty sure they're going to fall in love. Um, and it's great. It's really beautiful if you love a boarding school. The art is really interesting. It's not like a true, like, you know, when you think of comic and you're, a comic book and you're like, oh, it's like a big, you know, uh, uh, like very stylized. Yeah, but this is this is more. Um, it's just a different style of art, which I really like. I really like when things feel a little bit more. Um, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for because it's not it's not glossy. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's still really it's well done and really interesting and really delicate. Mm-hmm. I would say the art is. It's 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 almost uh, for listeners. It's a little bit more Emily Carroll-y. Mm. Yeah, it's it's and it's really pretty. It is a big book, but um, it's a big honking comic. It is, but but you know, it's a comic book, so you yeah. can you can make your way through it for, pretty quickly. But yeah, I'm really enjoying it. What are you reading? So I have been waiting f- for it from the library for a while. It's the audiobook of Jonathan Van Ness's oh, new memoir, yeah. Over the Top. If you love Jonathan Van Ness, you should be waiting for this from the library or go out and buy it. It is absolutely delightful. He reads the audiobook. Oh. So it's just like very fun. It's like getting a hug in your ears when you're listening to it. He's just such a sweet, wonderful person that you want to protect at all costs. And it's like his life story growing up in the in the middle of the country. I think he grew up in Illinois. Don't know. I I don't remember that they they go into it and in, or maybe Pennsylvania or something shows you how how good I am at watching TV. I've not even finished the new season of Queer Eye. Oh, because um, it makes me cry too much. Yeah, well, I watch it and I just immediately start crying. That too. Yeah, uh, but it's his memoir growing up, um, becoming finding his like creative voice and all like just all the things he's dealt with in his life and finding out how to take care of himself and love himself. I think it's a really good audiobook or book to read. Like at the end of the year when you're like gearing up for like, okay, here's all the things that I want to start accomplishing next year. And like, here's the like personal wellness goals or like, I want to get better at like being, taking care of my, I feel like self-care is like a big thing that people are trying to work on right now. Mm -hmm. So this is a great book to show you like the benefits of that and someone else's journey to that. Yeah. So that's uh, Over the Top by Jonathan Van Ness. And mine is On a Sunbeam by Tilly Walden. 
Uh, so we want to take a moment to share some listener feedback. Olivia wrote in about our Spacebooks episode. I have a somewhat conflicted experience with Spacebooks. I love space, but I'm an engineering and physics student doing a space engineering project. I found that I either need to read scientifically accurate books or ones that don't focus on the practicalities. Nothing is more frustrating than a book that tries to be intellectual and gets it wrong. The best examples I've read are The Three-Body Problem, which is written by an engineer, uh-huh. and The Left Hand of Darkness, which is written by a genius. <laughs> <laughs> Ursula Le Guin includes just a couple of lines when telling us about how long-distance space travel affects the main character, it's, but it's really accurate to the effects of special relativity at near-light speed. Oh, that's interesting, because I love The Left Hand of Darkness. It's one I should have mentioned in our space episode, um, but I did not know Ursula K. Le Guin was accurate. That's well interesting. Well done, Ursula. Mm-hmm. Just wrote it in with a hot book tip. Wow, wow. Hot book tip. Bow, bow, bow. <laughs> what was that? Oh, I don't know. That was new, the guitar? Uh, one, oh, yeah. <laughs> and you know when they do like the guitar twang? Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, I feel like we turn out we both have mullets. So. <laughs> <laughs> I will be going to grad school starting this spring for my MLIS. Which I think is, it's Master's in Library, library Science. Science? Okay. Yeah. Um, and I just got my book list. I contacted my local bookstore, and even though some of the books are textbooks, they said they can get most of them in two to three days. I'm so excited because not only do I get to support my favorite, favorite local bookshop by buying books I, I need, but also they give a 15% student discount. Nice. Um, I will say I worked at a small bookshop in Austin, Texas, and um, there were certain professors who would have their books Bought, people could buy their books through us and it kept the store afloat. Wow. Like we literally had to put out extra shelves and it kept the store afloat because we would give a discount as well. Yeah. I can't remember how much it was like 10% or something like that. But also these professors were like, go buy it through Monkey Wrench Books instead of buying it through like the huge co-op or whatever, yeah. or the, the student, whatever. And we tried to get used ones and stuff, but it, oh my God, it was a lifesaver. So if this wow. was like a possibility, even though you may have to drive or do something like that and you can't order it through Amazon or whatever people do now. But two to three days that's almost like Amazon Prime. Yeah, totally. And you get to support your local bookshop. And I'm telling you that like, you know, because you spend so much money on books for college. Yeah. You spend like hundreds of dollars. So it's mm-hmm. a big thing for a, for a small bookshop. Yeah, that's a lot of money. Yeah. So Eve wrote in with a wheelhouse, uh, which is historical fiction about LGBT people and or cross-dressing, historical diseases and disasters, daily life in olden times, food history, clothes, etc. I just love like the general term olden time. Olden, ye olden oh. era. <laughs> Uh, time travel and its close cousin, immort- immortality. Sure. Uh, horses. Oh, wow. Horse. We got a horse. We got a horse person here. <laughs> Positive portrayals of fat people, especially fat women, fundamentalist religious groups and cults, survival against the elements, emphasis on survival. At least some of the characters have to make it to the end of the book. Oh. <laughs> you know that what? Good, totally makes good stipulation there. So we want to do a quick check in with our NaNoWriMo participants. We're going to check in with one of our NaNoWriMo participants um, who is a listener as well. And then we're also going to get a quick quick check-in from Tom Merritt. And we are here with Mary, who is participating in NaNoWriMo. How's it going, Mary? It's going good. Um, This, I've done this since 2012 when I was still in high school. Um, And this, I think, is the best one I've done so far. Um, So what are you writing? So I am writing a uh, queer historical fiction horror novel. Um, It takes place in 1912 in upstate New York, which is where I am based. And it is about a bunch of lesbian nurses uh, fighting a forest god. That sounds very rad. And how far into your project are you? So I am just under 21,000 words, um, which is a little below where I should be if I'm writing the 
expected 1,600 words. Um, but that's no surprise because I was sick uh, a week ago. Um, I'm hoping I'm getting a lot of words um, written while I'm on break for Thanksgiving. And how are you feeling overall, both, you know, physically, but also like about your project? So I think this is my favorite project I've ever come up with. Um, I always write about queer ladies in some genre fil- uh, genre novel, because that's where I like to live when reading books. So, but this is my favorite. I think partially because it's really based on where I'm living. So it's a lot of, every time I go outside, I go like, ooh, this would be great for what I'm writing. Awesome. Well, thank you for checking in with us and let us know how it goes the rest of the month. Hey, Tom here with my week three update on how my nano novel is going. Uh, As I'm recording this, it looks like I've got about 38,000 words and uh, I've pushed through my week two blues. And what usually happens for me is seems to be happening again, which is I, uh, I start to figure out where the rest of the story is going. And that motivates me, and I get out of that barrier that's in front of me every time I sit down uh, to write my words. And I, I now have signposts ahead of me uh, that kind of, you know, like, like I'm marching through the tundra, and uh, I just need to get to the next one, just make it to the next one. Uh, so I'm starting to have a lot of fun again uh, with this story, and, and I know where it's going. And uh, I probably will have to blow some stuff up, metaphorically, uh, along the way uh, to, to keep it in interesting, but uh, that's where I am uh, so far. So fingers crossed uh, that I'm I'm definitely uh, looking like I'm going to hit the 50,000 words, and I might even go a little bit past that. Thanks, y'all. Hi, I'm Renee Colbert. I'm Alexis Preston. And we're the hosts of the smash hit podcast, Can I Pet Your Dog? Now, Alexis. Yes. We got big news. Uh Uh-oh. Since last we did a promo, our dogs have become famous. World famous. World, like, stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Second big news. Mm -hmm. The reviews are in. Mm Mm-hmm. Take yourself to Apple Podcasts. You know what you're going to hear? We're happy. It's true. We're a delight. A great distraction from the world. I like that part a lot. So if that's what you guys are looking for, mm-hmm. you got to check out our show. But what else can they expect? We've got dog tech, dog news, celebrities with their dogs, all dog things. All the dog things. So if that interests you, well, get yourself on over to Maximum Fun every Tuesday. week it's all about the author reader relationship authors couldn't exist without readers readers wouldn't have books without authors (laughs) symbiotic (laughs) we've been getting a lot of reader problem emails about what authors owe readers and vice versa so we figured we'd do a whole episode on this balance because you know we know reviews are not where reviews are like a no non-author space that is not where authors belong reviews Mm. are for readers they are not authors there's like do not there's like a treehouse with Mm -hmm. a sign written in crayon that says authors are not allowed but what about other spaces like spaces where readers and authors like are actually interacting with each other either on social media or like at cons or at signings or readings like what how do you navigate those kinds of spaces yeah and can i just say this like we are definitely a pro reader show but we are also pro writer show pro author show there being an author is really hard mallory can speak to this i I know mallory be an author this is is my first month ever as a full-time author now oh congratulations I am now officially a full-time author and podcaster. You should have a party, but also, like, save money. Yes, <laughs> have, a, have a party where people give, like, it's like a shower where people get buy me toasters and stuff. Yeah, uh-huh. that's actually, or just, like, like packets I of ramen. Wish I would have, yeah, 
As yeah, the one thing I, if I had any advice to give any independent artist just making money off of art, just don't spend any money ever. Keep yep. it all because you'll never know when you're going to have a few dry months, live which is a, most months. Just live in a hole. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had very few authors on this show, very few that make their living from being authors. Most of them have day jobs. Um, the biggest ones that come on, they also have another source of income. It is really hard to do. Um, it's a career that they have to love. Um, we may do a whole episode on like money and authors because I think people don't know about this. But um, I'm just going to say, like at the beginning of this episode, Give them a one-time Patreon Patreon donation to somebody that uh, you really like, or the book you're reading right now that you're getting a lot of, or buy them one of those coffee things. What is uh, co- coffee? Kofi. Kofi. Yeah, it's like K O F I. It's like how to. It's like basically the the. It's a way to like basically buy your uh, an author you like the equivalent of a cup of coffee. You yeah. give them like three dollars. Make something. make your coffee at home and buy an author a three dollar coffee because I think that like it's a big thing and i think whenever you get that little extra bump of like money or also just love it it means a lot as like an independent working person where you're like how am i going to pay my bills but also make art that people seem to like knowing people like it is a big deal yeah i will like we're gonna do a whole episode on like how authors make their money but Mm -hmm. i will say like people have been like oh my god amazing your mallory your book is taken off i have still not made any money off of my book it my book came out in march it is now november I get my royalties quarterly, so mm-hmm. I should buy, I think November 15th, I should see some money, but I haven't yet. So right. I've been touring and traveling all over the country and doing all this stuff, but I still haven't gotten paid. Yeah, that's, like, yes. that's just how it, how it works. Yeah, so this is the reality of being an author. Uh, so one of the, the, the question that we got, we get a lot of questions about this, but the one that we're going to talk about directly on this episode is from a listener named Emily, and Emily wrote in with this very interesting dilemma since my love of reading has started up again, I've started. This is work- a long email, so everybody sit down, uh-huh. relax, sit in, sit into your, sit into your car seats. <laughs> Since my love of reading has started up again, I've started wor- working my way through my personal library and have come across a bit of a dilemma. I have quite a few signed copies of books, as I had been lucky enough to be able to go to several author signings before I lost my love of reading. However, at one of these signings, I had a less than stellar encounter with an author. I'm not going to reveal who it was. And I know the encounter was probably a combination of a lot of factors. It was the end of a long night. They had already seen hundreds of people at that point, And I did have quite a few of their books on hand that I was being asked to be signed. They agreed to sign all the books I had brought, but brushed off my attempts to make conversation. While I was grateful that they agreed to sign all my books, I left feeling a little deflated that they hadn't wanted to talk to me at all and I can't help but think that I was probably in the wrong for bringing too many books I had about six obviously I've grown quite a bit since then and can acknowledge that neither of us were probably at our best but I still feel hurt whenever I see their books on my shelves I've reread some of them since that night and while they are still good books I no longer feel excited about them is it okay to sell signed copies of books because I was disappointed by an author's interaction with me at a signing or am I just being a massive trash baby for expecting too much Bria what do you think about this um, well, I'm going to answer the question first, which is, yeah, yeah, it's okay to sell any book. Sell any book. Sell whatever you want. Just don't sell your children. And it like- doesn't, I, I mean, the, I, Marie Kondo, say whatever, but you know, I do think this is true. If you look at something that makes you feel bad, like get rid of it. It is not, it does not belong in your space. Correct. So I, for whatever reason, if it's that you, I mean, whatever reason you, this, you had about it in exchange with this author, you uh you know pooped on his car afterwards you feel real <laughs> guilty about it whatever i don't know something weird happened give them away but they're probably worth something because they have a signature sell those puppies you yeah. paid money for them yeah unless so- they're like uh you can't it might be tough to sell them like as signed copies if they're like sold they're like signed to emily yeah <laughs> you know 
You or you can, can. Find, you can find another Emily. Find another <laughs> Emily or also, like, eh, give them away. How I, funny would it fine. be if she found another Emily that was a fan of those books? That actually, you know, maybe on the Reading Glasses page, I feel like there's probably at least 10 Emilys in there. That's <laughs> Second, I will say, like, I've been on the other side of this. So, yeah, we both have. Um, we both have we've, what's interesting about that's why I wanted to have this episode, because we've both been on both sides of this. For sure. For sure. Because I'm also a fangirl, so I've gone up to people and been like, oh, they hate me. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm like, I got a lot of things to say. And then uh, then I'm like, oh, they don't, they don't want to hear these things. Um, I am personally not great at people interactions at events like this where there's a lot of attention. It's not something you would think about me meeting me in person, but um, I don't. You may remember, people may not know, listening to the show, that I'm a horror actress. I do a lot of horror acting. Um, and I get asked to do conventions. But it's really hard for me to give people what I think they want. And if they do, I do. It feels false. Um, I think you're much better at this than me. The the Really? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you seem like, I don't know. For some reason, that, it's like I it's feel like I'm still figuring it out. <laughs> it takes. A, I think it takes a long time to figure it out. But it I does. think really early, I was like, oh, this is just something I might not ever be good at, which I'm pretty quick to go, like improv. I took some improv classes early on and was like, you know what? Other people will be better at this than me. Fair enough. <laughs> um, I think, I think that every listener of this podcast can admit that human interaction can be a tough thing sometimes. And so sure. I think Emily recognizing that like, maybe it is the end of the night and that person's really tired and she's brought a lot of books and she's like hoping for this one experience that she didn't end up getting. It's just a not great situation all around. And that's okay. Like, it's okay that sometimes you're going to have bad interactions with people. They say never meet, never meet the people you idolize. Never meet your heroes, you know? Because it turns out that people are humans and humans sometimes are not the greatest thing to be around. As it turns out, people are humans. Yep. <laughs> Authors, nuts. humans. Mm -hmm. You thought they were space monsters, creatures, special abilities. No, humans. They're humans. <laughs> what do you think? So... I think what's funny about this is I think both sides are right. And I think there's wrong and right on both sides of this. First off, I want Emily to pat herself on the back for acknowledging all the factors that do go into the signing. That author might have been exhausted or starving or had to pee extremely badly or had really bad cramps. Or got like a text from their, you know boyfriend and the yeah. boyfriend was like you fucking suck and you're like oh and, uh, yeah. now i have to talk to people yeah there's five bazillion reasons why that author might have been having a bad night also i do want to point out maybe they're shy like mm -hmm. i think a lot of people again you think that like oh well this is just being part of an author but most like it's not yeah you think when you go into this you're like oh i'm gonna write this book but you don't realize there is it's like a tip of the iceberg there's so, like you have to get good at promoting yourself and mm -hmm. you have to have a website and be good on social media and get good at interviews written interviews and phone interviews and like interacting with people and being on panels and yeah. giving talks there's like all these other parts of being a professional author that no one tells you about and nobody trains you in. Yeah. There's no classes for this. Some people are good at interacting and some people are very, very painfully shy. Yeah. And I think it's easy to forget that. And maybe, and this is actually something I have a really hard time with as an author. I have a very hard time writing and talking at the same time. Oh, interesting. I am con I, like, I have. Yeah. I mean, remember how to spell people's names? Oh, yes. I have a lot of trouble with those. Oh, I, I have a, in my author writer that booksellers need to do the, the post-it thing where the bookseller, when oh, yeah. they give them a book, they write their name down on a post-it. Uh, I did an event in Kansas City and there was one lovely woman. I misspelled her name three times, but because people were talking to me. And I think uh, yeah. it's very easy to forget when you're, and I've done this too, on the other side, you're so excited in the author signing your book and you want to talk to them. 
but they have to concentrate because especially if they're signing all these books or like they want to write something special in there or they want to write a name. It's like that moment when you get you're out with your friends and you're get you're signing your bill at the restaurant and you're trying to figure out the tip while everyone's talking around you and you go like freeze and you suddenly forget how to fucking do math. Uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. You're just like it's very difficult. So what I do as an author is like I have a handful of questions that I ask people like depending sometimes if people are reading glasses listeners like I'll ask them questions about the show and that way while they're talking I can like I'm like okay cool like I know that they're saying this thing I have a minute to like write it out. It's a very hard to talk and write at the same time. Um there so there's tons of reasons why it could have happened but on the other hand I truly think that authors need to do their best with this stuff. Uh, do their best to be friendly and accommodating. I don't think that Emily was a trash baby for bringing lots of books. I think most bookstores have a policy that if an author doesn't want to sign like a certain thing or an author doesn't want to take pictures or like an author only wants, like when I went to go see David Lynch last year, Mm. they had a thing that says David Lynch will only sign this book. He was not going to sign DVDs. He's not going to sign anything else. So otherwise people will bring 45 DVDs for David Lynch to sign. Exactly. And like they'll never get through that line. But if they're, if there is if if emily didn't there wasn't anything about on the event that said no don't sign anything else like it's totally fine i, I for, totally agree I totally agree that's not on her at all no and lots of authors get stoked when like uh i when i i one of my signings at comic-con this year i was with my friend richard cadry and someone brought like a massive tote bag for books for him to sign and he was like oh fuck yeah this is so cool yeah especially if you have something like rare that like i will say i did do a convention last year and someone had um my brother and i one time put out a cd that's right. We put out a CD of us singing songs from the point of view of a character from the from a horror movie, from big horror movies, from the main character's point of view. Anyway, um, and there was like, we Rhea, seriously- you truly contain multitudes. We really, I think, made 30 of them and then so handed funny. them out for free at a comic convention one Amazing. year when we were passing out our comic book. And um, uh, someone brought them and I was like, holy shit. Like, I was so excited to yep. see it. Yes. So that kind of stuff I do feel like people are stoked about. Yes. and If you're allowed to bring it. But I don't, uh, and I, I totally agree with you. I don't think Emily is a trash baby for feeling bad about those books. I've had this happen to me. I will never name the author, but I had a very bad experience with an author. It was actually much worse. Like this author said a bunch of things that I was like, oh my God, but I love those books, but I was able to separate. But if, if I came home and was like, wow, I can't separate this experience. It's totally okay. Mm-hmm. It's fine. You have every right to feel the way you feel. Like everyone has a right to their feelings, but again, at the same time, you never know. There are a million reasons why that I very, yeah, I don't I think she's recognizing. Yes. And that's the thing. I think it's the thing of like the thing about an author at a convention is that they are at work, you know? Yes. So it's like the same yes. way, like you, they do need to put on their happiest face. It's like the same thing we expect out of like a Starbucks worker. They may write your name down wrong. That happens. Yeah. <laughs> You're allowed to say something about it. I like, it's just like, it is a professional interaction. Yes. You don't have to, I don't think the person has to like hear your life story, which we'll talk about in a second I, yeah, but I have a lot do, of but, um, about that but uh but I do think like it is like recognizing that like the same interaction you expect out of a worker at Starbucks a, a coffee maker a coffee barista mm-hmm. then you can expect that out of your author at a signing oh absolutely <laughs> so that brings us to so what during these interactions whether it's on social media or it's at a signing or at an event or at a meet and greet whatever what do you think authors owe readers like so I thought about this a lot. Same. And, and it's hard to say. I have many thoughts about this. And I, um, I'm kind of addressing this from book form, whereas of in, not in-person form, because yeah. I still struggle with the in-person form. Um, uh, I don't think an author, there's a lot of don'ts. So I, this is not a very good list, but I, I don't think an author has to change for a reader, just as a reader doesn't have to change for an author. Yes. So if I start writing something you don't like, 
you don't have to keep reading it and I can keep writing it. You know yes. what I mean? Like if I, if I write, start Everyone writing Everyone has your agency in this situation. Yeah, if I start writing a character that you thought, thought was going to be, and reader starts, you know, I'm writing this from the, I'm saying other point of view. But as a reader, the, if my favorite author starts writing a character in a way I don't like it, I just don't have to read it anymore. So I don't think that you, I don't think that you have to write books to placate and uh, appease all of the readers. I, yes. I don't think they should, actually. I think that that is false yes. and not Correct. good. I'm with, you. Um, I'm with you on that. Uh, if an author crosses a boundary in a book that you don't like, we always encourage you to put it down. Like whether it's a trigger warning, a character, or a character you don't like. Like just so you're like, I don't like this person. They seem like a jerk. Yeah, you don't owe them anything. No, I don't think you as a reader owe them anything. Exactly. Um, but I also don't think the author has to write a likable character, like I said. Um, I think an author does owe reader truth in a nonfiction book. Well, yes. Um, I know this sounds very simple, but listen, we live in a time where people are not writing truth. Correct. <laughs> you know? Correct. I think they also owe a reader getting educated on a subject they're writing about. Like, let's yes. say this is a very simple thing, but it takes place in Texas. You should go learn a little bit about Texas if you're going to write a book that takes place in Texas unless you're writing an alternate Texas where Texas never existed. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's, you know, exceptions to this rule. But I do think you owe, like, the reader a little bit of research if you're passing this off as some sort of truth. Obviously, there's big implications here for race and sex, gender, yeah, things yeah. like that, sexuality. So anyway, that was a lot of don'ts. I don't think they owe this, which is not a great way to make a list. Um, so I think at the end, I'll just say, when it comes to like making art, I think that you owe authenticity. Yes. And making the art that you're- You want to make. The art you're attempting to make, which mm-hmm. is not great for us as readers sometimes. Sometimes yeah. I'm like, ah, I wish they would have done this, but I don't think they owe me that. And I think most people actually don't think they owe you. I think- 99% of readers don't think you then they read the book and they go well that was the book yeah. like even if they're unsatisfied with it at the end correct they don't write any mean email saying you know saying you owe me something different mm-hmm. like I don't think they do owe that in art I think you have a different take on what authors owe readers in person form yeah especially coming off going of on a book tour eight, eight months of book tour I have a lot of you've done nothing but this. hang out with readers <laughs> which in most of the time it's fucking amazing like I am sure. obviously extremely biased but I think a my readers and b the listeners of our show are the greatest people yeah. I will say right off the bat and I am obviously like very biased about this but I have never had a bad interaction with a reading glasses listener oh wow every single glasser out there maybe it's because we talk about this on the show a lot so we like bring it to people's attention but our glassers are the most polite incredible fucking people I've never had a problem with glasser I I totally I totally I I believe that and you know what I'll say as much as I like bitch and like oh it's really hard for me to do these in-person things Anytime, I, it's so rare to have an actual bad interaction with people for me. Like, and but it's just oh, the it's few times that I have <laughs> that I I feel like I don't draw it in whatever yeah. it is. But when it is, I'm like, oh, what do I I I like really have to like think over that situation for a long time. Yeah, and I think in, in particular, like our reading glasses listeners are very empathetic and considerate. I remember uh-huh. um, there is a listener that we interact with a lot. Her name is Kelsey, and she lives in Austin. Actually, we, I think we we, mm-hmm. we answered a book problem question from her recently, but it was my first Austin event, and I think she was, like, off to um, – I, I was, it was, like, before my event, and I was having a drink with some of my friends, and her and her partner were at a table – and she came up to say hi, and she was like, "Oh, my boyfriend said I shouldn't say hi because you were drink- you were having a drink." She was like so nice and so considerate, and like all of our listeners are like that. Uh, so I think, I think the best answer for this is balance. I think it is absolutely reasonable to expect an author to be friendly and kind to you and want to sign the books and take pictures and whatever they're comfortable with. After all, that is why they're there. Exactly. If well, you're at an event, you mean that's what I mean. Like, if an author truly hates the stuff, don't fucking do it. 
Like you don't have to do this. Like part of the reason why I toured so much is because I like doing it. Mm -hmm. I like speaking. I'm willing to do it. Like if an author really doesn't want to like, don't fucking don't like, don't make it awful on everybody and don't be a jerk to all these poor people who love your books and are in your line. Like that's not okay. Uh, I don't think it's too much to expect an author to like be fucking nice to you. I just don't think that. And mm. But on the other side, I think it's very reasonable for authors not to be expected to do things that make them uncomfortable or like spend 15, 20 minutes talking to each person or share personal information like addresses and phone numbers. I've had people ask me for to to hang out with me, to give me their addresses, to meet them in person. That is fair. That is above and beyond. That is not acceptable. That is not reasonable. Um, and I think what we're a lot of people never want to admit, but I think the secret goal for a lot of us when we meet people that we admire is like, you want them to be your friend. Like that's the thing. You're the, you're Uh, like, yeah, I don't, I shouldn't don't, I don't know if I want someone I admire to be my friend. Well, not like they, but you want them to like you. Sure. You know, they made a movie or a comic or a book that you really love and you like want to have a cool interaction with them. But the truth is like, that's not emotionally possible for, for somebody and uh, same thing with, with social media. I think it's reasonable to expect an author to do their best to be as responsive and appreciative online. But you can't respond to everybody. You can't be everybody's friend. You can't follow everybody back. I remember maybe a month into the Lady from the Black Lagoon tour and I was texting my best friend crying because I felt so overwhelmed that I can't. Yeah. Cr- and I, cause I couldn't respond to everything. And she was like, Mallory, just like post a video saying thank you to everybody. Nobody's expecting you to to say thank you. Like I get tweets. I get fan mail every single day. Yeah. Every single day of my life, yeah. I get it. And it is the greatest thing. I get lots of fan art and I get lots of tweets and I and all kinds of stuff. But there's like right now, I don't respond to any DM requests on Instagram. I respond to my fan mail once every few months. I do my best to keep up with on Twitter, but I can't like I can't keep up with all of it. No. And that you just have to leave it. Yeah. There like you can't you have to put it out there in good faith and hope that the author is there. And like something else I want to touch on, like on my because of the the nature of the book that I wrote, I get a lot of people who want to tell me at signings stories of them being raped. This is mm-hmm. trigger warning for all this stuff, but like also trigger warning for me. <laughs> <laughs> they want to tell me about their stories of sexual assault or harassment or horrible things they went through. Uh, they, people send me a lot of um, Facebook messages, which I, I also stopped and I can't answer a lot of emails. And it is, it's really tough. And I've gone through this when I've had, books like uh, I'm a big fan of Bryn Greenwood and I love her books and a lot of her books are about like fucked up people and fucked up situations and like I'm estranged from my family but so when I like if I ever met her the urge for me would to be like dump all of the stories of me estranging myself from my family because you feel like that you've gotten close to her because you've read her stories which that's exactly yeah that's exactly it but you have to remember that you are a stranger to this person yeah yeah and they're sitting there in public having to interact with hundreds of people Mm -hmm. and you are all of a sudden bringing a lot of emotional weight to somebody and I'm still learning how to interact. Like I don't normally like to hug people. I, when people cry, like I try to hug them. Like I understand with like that this book meant a lot to them. It means the world to me, but I think readers need to respect that. Like also again, like this, this problem that Emily had, maybe the reader before this author or the before the Emily in line had that same interaction. Like it's very emotionally draining. Yeah. So, and it's hard to like keep doing that over and over and over again. So I think that the best thing to do is actually what Emily is doing and what all, all readers need to do is remember that authors are people. Yeah. Try to be as empathetic as you possibly can, but I don't think it's unreasonable for people to expect authors to 
do to to do their best. I think everyone just needs to do their best. Sure. Keep trying. Like Oprah says. Like, is that what Oprah says? She says that uh, well, you should just always know that everyone's trying to do their best. You should always t- yes. think that uh, there's a better way she says it, but she always she's like she goes when you're like angry or you think something you're like they're just doing their best. They're doing the best they can. Yes. And that's a good way to view people because yes. most of the time they are. And even if you're like wow, they should be doing better. You don't know what's going on with that person. So like the, you, yes. they're doing the best they can. Absolutely. And I think I think most readers are really really good at that. Um but I think sometimes people you know, it's just good to be cognizant of this stuff. Yeah. Because, like, you know, sometimes, and I, I actually hear this from other podcasters. Our, po- our listeners are great. But um, some podcast host friends of mine are like, yeah, you know, when people, as a podcaster, you know, people, you're in someone's head all the time and they feel like they're yeah. your friend. But then they come up to you. I think we had Murr talking, Murr Lafferty talking mm-hmm. about this once. People come up to her and talk to her as if they know her. Right. And she's like, I don't know you. Right, and right. I think it's hard Which for I us. I feel to- the same way. There's several people that several podcasts I listen to where I'm like, I think they're my friends, but then I see them like in real life somewhere. I'm like, oh, they don't know who I am. Yeah, there's a my favorite comedy podcast, Hello from the Magic Tavern. I saw the all of them walk across the street in L. A. One day when me and my boyfriend were driving to the ArcLight in Hollywood, mm-hmm. and I almost was like, Arnie, but he does not know me. He does I, not know who I am. I, I was at um, the ArcLight also two days ago, and Quentin Tarantino walked by. Oh, holy shit. And were you I, like, hey, Q? Uh, I didn't say anything, but there was a guy also at the restaurant I was at, and he not I was not with him, and he goes, hey, Quentin, can I take a photo? And Quentin goes, no. And then just kept walking, and I was like, that's the guy who's had that question asked to him 400 times every day. Yeah, oh, for sure. And the guy was like, okay. No, he just yeah, but, that's the part, but that's the part, like, that's the thing, is I feel like as long as everyone is doing their best and being respectful and being empathetic, but and, and sometimes it's hard to remember that because reading books is a very emotional experience for mm-hmm. some people, but you just gotta, you gotta do, I think that's what we should talk, title this episode, just do your best. Do your best. Do your <laughs> best. So you can send your thoughts on the author-reader relationship to readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. And before we talk to the hosts of Deadline City, we're going to take a quick break. Hey, cool shirt. Oh, this? Thanks. I got it at maxfunstore.com. Maxfunstore.com. Hmm, that's strange. I visited maxfunstore.com. Maxfunstore.com. A few weeks ago and didn't see it. That's because they've just launched a ton of new stuff. Right in time for the holidays. Oh, cool. There's patches, mugs, totes, stickers, even a onesie. Nice. Those would make great gifts for everyone I know. Great, because I already got you something from there. Thanks. Now, excuse me a moment. I need to look up maxfunstore.com on my smartphone. You know, to see what's new. Yeah, you can't go wrong with anything from maxfunstore.com. So here we are with authors and podcasters, Zoraida Cordova and Danielle Clayton. First off, what are you both reading? Oh my God. I'm reading, I'm currently reading a book called Woven in Moonlight by uh, Isabel Ibanez, who is um, a debut author, comes out January 7th, 2020. And it is a YA fantasy inspired by Bolivian mythology. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. What about you, D? I'm reading this. Ter- I'm wearing. I'm reading this terrible book called Incendiary oh, no. by. Oh. This- <laughs> <laughs> this is a 
co-writer? I don't know if you know her. How I can't believe her? I'm being trolled by my co-host. <laughs> so I'm getting that. And it's just like, I, it's like, I just don't even know, like, this notion of control. But the book is so good. It's one of those things, like, oh, the author, but the book. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate it. <laughs> So in addition to both being incredible authors, you both just started an amazing new podcast called Deadline City. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, I'll let, the, let Danielle p- pitch it. Oh, how dare you, you monster. Um, <laughs> well, Deadline City um, is named after our office. We live in New York City and we have an office space in Harlem and we're always on deadlines. And so Zoraida and I have been sort of at this deadline thing for a couple of years now and we thought other people must struggle like this let's share and so the podcast really came sort of combining all of the things that we've learned while on this weird rodeo and it's all of our hijinks as well we just fuss and argue and tell dirty jokes and then also like give writing advice for people who are already a couple books in Right, because I feel like a lot of the publishing podcasts are about how do you get published. And so now we're like, okay, well, I'm published now. What do I do? And I feel like there are less resources for after what happens and how do you deal with certain things. Um, And we just want to tell the truth. Yeah, as an author, I absolutely love Deadline City. You both absolutely knock it out of the park. So it's... NaNoWriMo, sometimes celebrated, sometimes dreaded, and in the spirit Mm -hmm. of writing, how do you both stay in love with reading as like full-time authors who are writing all the time? I was just complaining about the fact that I don't have enough reading time. Like I haven't had enough reading time the last couple of years. I've actually read more books this year than I did last year. Last year, I think I got through 35 books and now I'm up to 55 and I'm going to, I'm going to do like two weeks in December where I just read, I just want to go through my, like, knock them out, like, boom, boom, boom. Um, but I contribute, th- I contribute that balance to audiobooks. So this year I have completely fallen in love with, with Libby and using and like audio everything. So, um, that has helped a lot. Um, but it's, it's hard when you're writing, especially if you're writing fantasy, you don't want to always read fantasy. So I've been trying to read, uh, nonfiction and, um, research books and uh, mostly Star Wars novels uh, because they're also research books as well as middle grade uh, and romance. What about you, Danielle? Um, I think the struggle has really been, you know, Z was talking about not writing enough. I think um, trying to figure out balance. (laughs) I even feel triggered by that. By bringing that up um, and it's been a struggle to figure out how do you take care of yourself, like your actual body and your brain noodles um, while trying to be creative um, and then also trying to read and listen to audiobooks and to fill your well. Uh, the question, yeah, it's, it's, so, it's super difficult to try to keep all of those things together Um and to stay sharp, which is really, really, really hard. And audiobooks are a great um, way too. I need to do what is that Libby thing you were saying, Zoretta? What is that? How do I not know about this? Oh, I am a, a Libby addict. <laughs> it's a the near. Uh, is it near public library? Or just 
you all libraries. I think it's I think it's most libraries. It depends on if that library works with OverDrive or not. Right, because I used to have OverDrive, but then I switched over to Libby. I think it's the same company, right? Yeah, they basically they were like, oh, let's make an app that is snazzier and easier to use. Right. Yeah, and it, and so it, whatever I just go through whatever is available. And, you know, there's, I always try, I try, I was trying to get the Everlasting Rose by Danielle Clayton, but there's like a seven week wait list. What? Uh, for, for that, that trash. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh my God. We are clearly really right. kind to ourselves. Uh, but no, it, it, I think audiobooks have been a game changer because like I, while I'm cleaning, while I'm running, I can go, I can multitask. Um, and, and my, my biggest, my biggest, um, clash between reading and being a writer is that I don't want to accidentally read something that is so is too close to my own work and I feel like that's the fear of all writers um is like you're going to read something and you're like oh this is exactly what I wanted what I'm working on right now but that's just something that is already existing in the universe like your idea is not original so you just have to get over that Oh, yes. I also try to um, sort of stay, like, try to step outside of my wheelhouse with reading um, during this time and try to read things that I don't necessarily always um, love to read. Um, So if I'm reading, trying to stretch my brain and really push myself. So reading some nonfiction, um, reading more adult books, reading chapter books, things that are not necessarily my go-to norms helps me, I think, um, really keep reinventing what I'm in love with, what I'm reading, um, and shake up my brain. Along with all the balancing of trying to keep myself together and my creative well-balanced, I think finding other things to read that are not my norm helped me do that too. Mm-hmm. That is a really good reading hack. And so this episode is all about the author-reader in relationship. And in terms of interactions, like at events and on social media, what do you both think authors owe readers in terms of like interactions? I think that we owe them our we owe them our time to a certain extent, right? Like I think that the only reason that we can go to these events. And the only reason that we can have signing lines is because people are reading our books. So I think that we owe it to the reader to share that time. Obviously, sometimes, a lot of the time, there comes a point where you get exhausted. And there is there has to be some balance between the author-reader relationship. When I was a youth, uh, we, didn't, <laughs> we didn't have access to our writers the way that we have access to them now. I used to read Libba Bray and Holly Black's live journal and wait for them to update every month. Like once a month they would update and I would go and like sit at their live journals and, and wait, you know, for that, for that super long blog post that they would write. Um, but now I'm just like, oh, look, they're tweeting and they're on Instagram. So uh, that interaction has super changed because like we also didn't have like massive book tours for every author uh, back in the dinosaur ages. So uh, the, that relationship has changed. I think that we owe readers um, sort of that interaction if we can, you know, not everyone has the same level of spoons. Um, and so what I try to give my readers is the love that they give me because I wouldn't be a writer without being a reader first. So I started out not knowing I was a writer. I was just a reader. 
And so I always would write letters to my favorite authors. And sometimes they would write me back and sometimes they didn't, but I just wanted them to know that I loved their worlds and I loved their work. And I think that um, as a writer, I feel like I want to give love back to the people who are reading me as much as I can give based on sort of different factors happening in my life at a given time. But I love interacting with readers and talking to them and knowing what they're excited about, knowing what they loved, um, and just celebrating together. Right. And even if we can't give them all of the time in the world at book events, I do think that we all writers owe their readers thanks. Yes. Uh, because otherwise, why, you know, we would just be people alone in our homes working, like twiddling on our computers. Like it wouldn't be the same. And so on the other side of things, as readers, how do you both handle like going to a signing or meeting an author that you love or in dealing with that space from, you know, being on the other side of the signing table? Danielle, I know you have a funny story. (laughs) Oh my God, I do. So I bug out just like, like for people that I love, just like people sometimes bug out for me. And I'm like, I don't understand why you're bugging out for me. I'm a grumpy old troll. Um, But... (laughs) Uh, One of my favorite stories is years ago, I think it's like seven years ago, because now we're like good friends. I met Scott Westerfeld for the first time. Um, And if you're listening and you've never read Scott Westerfeld, Fix Your Life. So Ugly Series was so uh, foundational for me. And I was a teacher and a librarian and I was teaching those books. And I met him at the New York Public Library. And as soon as he turned around and I was like, oh, hello, that's Scott Westerfeld. And I turned bright red and I was, and I'm, you know, brown. And I was like, why am I sweating? I was like sweating and like had that like hot flash (laughs) of like, this is Scott Westerfeld. This is like the guy who wrote these books. And I was geeking out and was so bad that my friends who were standing around me, they're like, what's wrong with you? what's happening right now? Like this never happens. And it's just because I am a fan of people's work as well. And I lose my mind when people whose work I love that I get to meet them and I just can't handle it. So it was very embarrassing. So does that mean that you have a little bit more empathy when someone freaks out about you? Yes, but I'm like, but I'm just a little troll. So it's like not the same. (laughs) I'm always like, but me? But me? Really? Like, me? She doesn't understand when people freak out over her. And I'm like, you're great. You're amazing. Like, let people freak out over you. Yeah. All writers are secretly <laughs> grumpy trolls. What about you, Z? This is shocking. This is interesting. I don't know this about uh, you. I mean, I I think that I started my career, I when I was in, I, when I was in high school, I went to a writing camp. And so I got to meet authors like Jacqueline Woodson and Nora Fox Maser and uh, like fantastic, you know, acclaimed poets like Cornelius Eady and Kamiko Han. So I feel like I just learned to play it cool from a very early age. <laughs> oh, okay. So you have all your thing. Like you just were born with your kids. Okay. She just rolls in in a leather jacket with sunglasses on, <laughs> oh like doesn't care at all. Oh, there's J.K. Rowling. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> she's like, whatever. I might go say <laughs> hi to her. I don't even care. Uh, I, I, I was really blessed that my very first time moderating a panel in 2013 was uh, I was moderating uh, a bunch of authors that were local in New York and Libba Bray was on the panel. And I was so nervous because she's so funny 
that I completely bombed and I forgot to introduce myself. And she was like, Sarita, you didn't introduce yourself. Talk about yourself. And I was like, yes, okay, thanks. I can do things. Uh, so I did have that moment of being like being starstruck and being and 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 just having that interaction with somebody whose words meant so much to me. And I feel like that's why authors like we think of like authors as our own like rock stars, right? Um, and everybody means something to everybody. So I, I really appreciate that. But my heroes have all been cool so far, uh, and you know. That's because everybody's like, don't meet your heroes. But like, I've had very good experiences. Oh, that's, mm -hmm. that's awesome. So what is in both of your reader wheelhouse? Like what are subjects or tropes that will always get you to pick up a book? Enemies to lovers. Oh, yes. I, I knew you were going to beat you to it. So enemies right. to lovers, that is like my love life anyway in real life. So I love that. That's like reinforces things always. <laughs> um, so enemies to lovers. I like a good people in disguise, like something in disguise, someone hiding, um, infiltrating. Always pick that up. I really love the uh, a heist. Like, so if anything that is like, oh, we're going to steal something and we have like a group of people together, you know, like, and then we, none of us like each other, but we're all going to become a family at the end of it. Like, like Fast and Furious, but books. Um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I also really, really love a, a good redemption arc, especially in young adult novels where, like, there's, like, a young girl who has to, like, atone for her sins or, or like, fix a mistake that she made in the past. Um, and I love found families. Those are all absolutely fantastic. Really good wheelhouses. So where can we both – we can we find you both online and where can we listen to Deadline City? You can find me at Z like in Zorro on Twitter and Zoraida Solo on Instagram. Deadline City, we are just on Instagram. Uh, it's at Deadline City and our website is DeadlineCity.com. And I'm at Brown Bookworm on both Twitter and Instagram. And then you know where to find us for Deadline City. <laughs> yeah, and we're, we're listed on all of the uh, um, Spotify and the... Apple iTunes and all of those things. So it'll be on our website. Awesome. Thank you both so much for joining us. Now we're going to take a moment to answer a recommendation request from May. May says, I really like fantasy books, but finding one I can get into is really hard. I like A Darker Shade of Magic and Mistborn quite a bit. What are similar ones which are preferably not YA? You know what? Preferably not YA made this a lot harder. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Because uh, I had a couple ideas and then I was like, oh, that's YA. That's also YA. Um, why do I and fantasy tend to go hand in hand? Maybe we should. Kids like magic. Kids like magic. Oh, or, for sure. Yeah, is that what it is? I think, yeah, kids love magic. We should do, we should do a deep dive because I think that there, there must have been a time where it wasn't like this. So I think it's a newer thing. I think I'm going to blame Harry Hunger Potter, Games and Harry Potter. Harry Potter really kicked that off. Um, I'm going to suggest The Fifth Season by N.K. Jemisin. It is not YA and it has a lot of, it has, it has a lot of sci-fi elements, but also fantasy. Mm -hmm. And with a similar lore, it's not the same lore, but like a magic system, kind of like Mistborn in some ways. I've never read Mistborn. Um, yeah. So like it has like a similar idea. And I think, I think May would really dig it. Um, also, if you've already read that one, because I know a lot of people have, I would recommend Solace by former guest of the show, Gail Carrier. Um, and I, I think 
there may be a world in which may like steampunk sort of fantasy because yeah. the steampunk fantasy is not generally YA, weirdly. Yeah. So like, whereas fantasy, fantasy, a lot of YA, mm-hmm. steampunk fantasy tends to have adults. Yeah, it does. I don't know why. I think maybe because, oh, I don't know. Because you know adults, they think- they're the only people to survive into the steam. They Adults up. love blips. <laughs> I think that's what it, I mean. Jesse Thorne, uh, who runs Maximum Fun, loves a blimp. He loves a blimp. Loves a blimp. He looks like he walked out of a steampunk out uh, book. The, oh, with the beard, yeah, and his little mustache. He looks like <laughs> and like if he had put a top hat on him and he could and, be and like put him in a blimp, he would be the happiest person <laughs> in the world. Um, yeah, that's those are my suggestions. I think maybe look into steampunk because steampunk usually has like. There is some magical fantasy in some of them, and mm-hmm. that that might be a fun place for May to explore. What What do you think? So I hear you, May. Uh, I definitely get intimidated by fantasy books. I love that I wrote fancy books instead of fantasy for some reason. Fancy fantasy. <laughs> uh, I get intimidated by fantasy books sometimes because it's a lot of world building. Uh, and I don't often read series because I have literary commitment issues. And there's a lot of fantasy books that... Literary commitment issues. I so have literary commitment issues. Uh, I think that we can make a t-shirt that says that. I have literary commitment issues. I, you know what? That's not a bad idea. Yeah. Um, so I don't read a lot of fantasy. Um, and I know we talked about it a lot on the show. We sh- should be retiring this. But I have several reasons why I think this would be a good book for May. Um, I think that May should read Magic for Liars by Sarah Gailey. Mm. One, uh, uh, May loves A Darker Shade of Magic, which is written by V.E. Schwab, which is a good read-alike for Magic for Liars because they're from the same publisher and they're from the same editor, my friend Miriam Weinberg. Oh, wow. <laughs> edits both of them. So if you love A Darker Shade of Magic and you love that kind of uh, that kind of writing, Sarah Gailey is perfect. And also it's so it's fantasy, but it's also noir and it's very focused on the characters. Like the magic And there are YAs in it, but it is not about the YAs. The young oh <laughs> <laughs> correct. It's very YA adjacent. It's YA adjacent. Because it yeah. takes place at a magic boarding school. Yeah, with full of YAs. But all the characters, the main characters are adults. Yeah, yeah. So it's very adult focused. Like we had, you know, we had Sarah on to talk about their magic system. So it's not, Sarah writes very much like Ray Bradbury and that they're not focused on like the mechanics and like the intricacies of the, of a magic system or the world building. It's more focused on the characters and how they interact with it. Mm-hmm. So I think that might be great for May. And this book is very compelling. And I mean, we both loved it. It's probably one it, of my yeah. favorite books of the year. So that's what I think May should should read. Hopefully she likes one of those picks. And if you all want us to solve your reader problem or answer a recommendation request, you can send it to readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. As always, we want to thank Danielle and Kathy who, who run our Facebook group and Chrissy and Rachel who moderate our Goodreads page. Remember that you can buy Reading Glasses tote bags and shirts and bookmarks in the Maximum Fun store. There's a link in the show notes. And if you like the show and want to do something nice for us for free, you can rate and review us on iTunes. It takes, what, like a minute? and it's Less. Cool. Less than five stars done. Boom! It's really great for us. It helps us reach more listeners. Uh, like you, and you can build up our reading glasses community and makes makes us really happy. You can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com on Instagram at readingglassespodcast, and you can always follow along on our bookish adventures using the general hashtag readingglassespodcast. Thanks for listening, and thanks for reading. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.